Welcome to the Circle of Birth podcast. I'm your host and advocate, Ali Kranz. These podcasts are here to gather stories, people and information to better our understanding of the wisdom of birth and how we can reclaim our connections to birth from conception and beyond. You will hear stories not only from Australia but from all over the world, bringing together women, partners, midwives, doulas and all the people that have a birth story to share. So jump right in for this next Circle of Birth story. Again and again, I am just blown away by who I am talking to. I never thought that I could be filled with so much inspiration and here enter Marin from Indie Birth with one or not two but eight birth stories. Marin is from Arizona and in this podcast, I highly recommend utilising the information, especially if you're a birth worker of any kind. Marin will give a great insight into not only her own births but that of her as a midwife and what she has created with Indie Birth and the Midwifery School. You will hear of her births that gave her lessons to stand up and speak of the unspoken in the birth community. She is a brave warrior woman and again, if you can open your mind, you'll be utterly amazed by this woman's journey. She's a mama and she comes from true experience, birth shamanism, I'd say. So stay tuned for the next episode as I have dedicated a segment to her birth and loss of Sable Sage, which again is a very powerful experience that Marin learned and connected with. So with love and light, enjoy. Hi, Marin. Welcome so much and thank you for joining the Circle of Birth podcast. And I really, really appreciate you taking the time to come and join us on the show um, from Sedona, Arizona, I believe. And so big thank you. Yeah, thank you. I'm super excited to be sharing today and, and just talking about birth. Exactly. Yes. And I believe you have a super awesome family of seven children and you have eight births though that you you would like to share with us yes thanks for acknowledging that that's always um you know something you kind of decide in the moment sometimes how much to share about that but yes eight births and so we'll see they're they've all been of course amazing and special in their own ways but we'll kind of see which ones pop to the surface here as we go I'm not sure yet yeah, me neither. So let's go for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So start off, how old were you when you first got pregnant and how was that for you as a person and were you working as a midwife and what were you doing? <laughs> yeah, well, I like to joke, but it's not really a joke that my first baby and even my second were a different lifetime, it feels like. Um, with my first, I was about 25 And I was living in New York City with my husband, and we were both musicians at the time. Ah, what sort of of music were you? So we're both classically trained. We went to the Eastman School of Music in in New York, and and so I played the oboe just in New York City, you know, kind of freelance and um, some exciting stuff too. And he's an organist or was an organist. So he played at a couple of churches there. So we were not on the same paths we are now. 
And definitely this first pregnancy and birth experience, it was a huge part of later becoming a midwife. So I didn't begin that until about two or three years after my first birth, after my second birth, actually. Um, but my first birth and pregnancy were pretty mainstream. So I actually love that in a way. I love that I have done that and I can know what that's like. Um, I'm no, you know, I'm no stranger to the mainstream birth stories that are out there. So I saw an obstetrician for my care and it was a very uneventful pregnancy. Um, I was young, I was healthy. There really wasn't too much going on, but of course, in hindsight, there wasn't a lot of education going on. I really didn't know anything at all. Um, the only thing that I was focused on was that I wanted a natural birth. And I really have to thank my mom for that because with my own birth and the birth of my sister, my mom was always very proud to tell us that she had natural births. So that was one thing I knew I wanted. Now, of course, I look back and the situations I chose probably weren't the best way to get that natural birth, which I soon learned. But it was really a great experience, more from a learning perspective. Um, not to say that I was satisfied. I wasn't. My waters opened at 37 weeks, and I went into the hospital and basically wasn't allowed to leave. And I wasn't in labor. So that was something that was really useful to realize years later, uh, that my body hadn't screwed it up, that I just wasn't in labor yet. So I ended up being induced with Pitocin on the probably second day of being in the hospital. They were really getting tired of me because I wasn't in labor, but they wouldn't let me leave. So um, lots of things there that I learned. But all in all, it wasn't my fate to endure a super challenging birth. I did have a vaginal birth with my daughter. And really, all was well on the surface. So it wasn't until after her birth, of course, that I started questioning things. And even though the birth experience wasn't perfect or really even natural. Um, although I, I didn't have any pain relief. I, I did have the uh, Pitocin, but I didn't have an epidural or anything like that. So it wasn't natural, but it wasn't, wasn't completely, um, unnatural. You know, it just kind of brought me to this place where I started reading birth stories and watching them. And I just knew there was something more. The feeling. <laughs> uh, yeah, I didn't know what that meant, but I was, you know, and I guess this goes without saying with eight births that I really wanted to be pregnant again pretty soon. Not, you know, not immediately. I think she was probably over a year uh, when I did get pregnant again. But, you know, it was really something that came to the surface right away, I think, and that began my my love affair with birth, just getting to experience it and processing it and watching how it changed me, how it changed my husband, and just kind of ready for the next adventure. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I love telling my daughter her birth story, really. She's almost 14. And she used to get 
mm, sort of offended when she was younger because she's watched all her brothers and sisters after her be born at home. And so, you know, there's that element of she maybe missed something. But I always tell her that it was a fabulous experience, that she worked really hard. She was a very hardworking baby, and she did everything she needed to do. And really, it just taught me so much, and it set me on the path. So I'm not the least bit regretful. She was like the foundation of the person that you've become. Yeah. Yeah. Someone said something really good to me the other day about their birth journeys, and they said that the births that you have – teach you the lessons you know you, you need to have these births to become exactly. and transform the person that you are so exactly yeah 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 and on every level you know emotional spiritual even philosophical I feel like I can definitely look back on her birth and understand where people are coming from and I can also remain more unemotional than maybe I thought in the sense of that's the environment I chose. That's the care provider I chose. And there was only a little bit of time where I think I felt resentful and angry. It was, it was pretty soon after where it hit me, you know, that I had choices and that I made my choice and that really the outcome, the things I didn't like were more reflective of the environment I chose. So, you know, I think that's a great, peace to continue to go through life with. It's a great lesson to get as a 25-year-old. So again, I was super grateful for that. Just to briefly ask for the system over there where you are and particularly in the state Mm -hmm. is when you're pregnant, do you get the choice of midwifery care, obstetrician, or what's the normal route of choice? Well, At the time, I don't remember even thinking that a midwife was a choice, to be honest. That's ironic, isn't it? I didn't realize that. So I actually went to my mom's obstetrician. He was a super old guy, which worked in my favor in the end. He was an old school kind of doctor. But I suppose I could have chosen a midwifery practice. And if I had wanted to still be at the hospital, my choices would have been a lot slimmer. Um, And if I had wanted a midwife at a birth center, then I would have had even less choice. So yeah, those were definitely choices as of course was home birth, but I just didn't know about those choices. Just weren't aware. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I just wasn't aware and kind of went the the standard route. Mm -hmm. So one year later or thereabouts and you got pregnant again and you made yourself a bit more aware of birth and the processes Do you want to walk us through that next? Sure, sure. I did, although it was really at the end of my second pregnancy. So for my first, we lived in Arizona near my parents, and that had its own vibe, of course, living near parents even. And then for the second baby, we were in Chicago and, you know, just not surrounded by friends and family. So I really wasn't aware again of my choices until very late in the pregnancy, now, one thing I knew I wanted was a doula. I had had a first uh, a doula actually with my first birth, and it was amazing. She was great. I really valued her. So the second birth comes, or it's getting close. I was seeing some midwives at a hospital in Chicago, so I had made that switch, and I was feeling 
like they listened to me more. Um, I felt like as I had questions and concerns, they were definitely answering them. But what I kept coming up against was very typical, which is in the end, they don't have a lot of say. They respond to a doctor and they're really not autonomous. So the hard questions that I started asking such as, you know, how long are my waters allowed to be open? I was just kind of revisiting my first birth and I was just being met with sort of the same answers I had gotten the first time, even from midwives. So I had hired this doula at about 36 or 37 weeks. She was a wonderful woman and I still see her on Facebook here and there today. It's funny. It's been 12 years now. And she was a, just a really influential person. So we sat together for probably the last prenatal visit together. And she was going through my birth plan. Of course, I hadn't really done that the first time. Now the second time, I thought it was being all wise. And I wanted it written down what I wanted and needed. So the birth plan wound up being several pages, which Definitely now is not something I would encourage, but it reflected what I want, what I wanted. So this lovely doula sat with me on my couch and she just kept flipping pages, <laughs> kept flipping pages. <laughs> and, and something that was really important to me, and actually I sat there and cried with her, was that I had left out of the first story that because my daughter was born a couple weeks early, uh, immediately after birth, they took her to the NICU. And I didn't hold her and I didn't have skin to skin and I didn't bond in the way that I now know is so important. So that was a really sore spot. I figured my body could handle anything, but I was not going to let anyone touch my baby again. Mm. So I sat there and cried and she was being very compassionate and listening to me cry. And then at the same time, paging through this thing I had written. And she just kind of looked at me and said, have you thought about having a home birth? And that was it. That was the beginning of everything. And wow. I hadn't, but it was so powerful. And this was a woman I, I really trusted. And um, in Chicago, in Illinois, midwives that aren't nurses are all underground. They're, there's no legality. So it was really a blessing I had met her because I never would have gotten names of midwives even at that late date. I wouldn't even have known where to go or who to ask. So she handed me a couple of names and she said, you know, um, whatever you want to do, here's a couple names. One's a CNM, one's a direct entry midwife. Just see what you can do. You're already almost 37 weeks. So she left and I immediately got on the phone, made the couple of phone calls and waited very anxiously for these midwives to call me back. And in the next week, uh, I was very anxious. I had birthed the first time at 37 weeks. So I literally felt like I could have a baby any second and I didn't know what my plans were. But I met with midwives and a couple memories of that stick with me. And I think they're very... Um, telling as far as to what would happen later in life for me. So I didn't know anything about midwives. I had no idea about legal or not legal or really anything at all. I was purely choosing based on feelings and how, how sitting with these women made me feel. So the first 
woman I sat with was a CNM. Um, and she was part of a big practice. They did do home births and we sat in kind of a public restaurant and she was very nervous, at least to my perception. And all I remember her really saying that stuck with me was something about having gas in the car. She was, there wasn't a lot of like confidence emanating from her. So we left that meeting and I said to my husband, absolutely not. Like, I just can't. That's just seems wrong. Um, he agreed. And I thought, oh, geez, if this is how it's going to be, maybe I'll just stick with the hospital. You know, at least I've been with those people for a couple months. So, of course, it all worked out. And a couple of midwives later, I met the midwife that would attend our first home birth. And that was a major figure in my life afterwards. So, you know, again, I didn't know anything intellectually. All I know, all I knew is that I went to this woman's house and it was her house, not her office. I sat on her couch and it was just absolutely the right thing. Um, she listened, she paid attention, she wanted to know things. And in a couple of hours, we both felt comfortable and that was it. There was no question in my mind that I would be having this baby at home, whether it was that night or a couple weeks later. How many weeks so that were was, you at that point? Yeah, I was probably about 38 weeks. Yeah, great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I remember, and this is something um, that as a midwife really sticks with me, it is so powerful, the words we say to women. And if we don't believe in them, then we shouldn't be working with them. And if we do believe in them, then our words, you know, are they mean so much. So what I remember her saying to me was, tell me about your first birth. And so I did. And, you know, I had the long, much longer story than I told tonight. Uh, the baby was posterior. They induced me. They turned the baby. I didn't have an epidural. And she just looked at me and she said, if you can do that, you can do anything. Oh, cool. <laughs> well, and I think the same now, you know, as a midwife, when someone tells me a really long, involved first birth story and, um, you know, when a baby is born in that setting under those circumstances, you really have to applaud the body because it's not a physiological setting, um, but it gives credit to how amazing our bodies are, that even in settings that aren't perfect or physiological really at all, our bodies will you know, most times birth a baby. So I hadn't thought of it like that. And it was just really comforting. And mostly I felt like this woman believed in me and she knew I could do it. And that was great because I thought I could have a baby any second now. <laughs> mm. And would she, did you have many more um, sessions with her or did you sort of go into labor quite early again? I didn't birth until about four days before my due date. And so I, th I think I had another meeting and then we had a home visit. I do remember the home visit and actually the doula, the lovely doula was part of the birth team. Um, so she was there and my mom was actually present for the birth and yeah, so it was just a couple of meetings, but it all, you know, it all worked out. Yeah. And again, I feel like has, given me so much as a midwife, 
Um, you know, late relationships aren't ideal necessarily, but when a woman comes to you and she is ready and she is willing and she's taking the responsibility, then it usually works out great, you know? Um, and that's just something unique to midwives, I think, to be able to build enough of a relationship that this woman wants you there. Mm. And to support your feeling too and your intent and, you know, it's like you said, nothing when you have that feeling and nothing's going to get in your way, you need someone to help foster that and give you that confidence and growth and not sort of implant you with fear. And right. um, and it's just a, it's a beautiful thing to happen at such a late term of pregnancy. It's like, wow, I'm going to have a home birth. How empowering is that? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, and I started talking about home birth then and I pretty much have never stopped. Stop. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was also, I think, the magic of the right relationship Um, you know, funny enough, another midwife I had interviewed at the time is now one of my best friends 12 years later. Uh, she was just here the other night for dinner. Um, and so it's not that she wasn't and is a wonderful midwife, but at that moment in my life, this other woman was what I needed. That's why it's a good point to always during pregnancies interview as many people as you can and want. Sure. Yeah. The same goes with doulas, always someone that's going to align with your, your energy. Sure. Yeah. I think it's so much about personality. And again, not that you can't know more intellectually, but I was kind of glad I didn't really. I'm glad I wasn't, you know, too pulled into politics at the time. It was just purely the woman that resonated with me. So Mm. that was nice. How did that birthing go? Was it a long process or? The birth itself was much shorter. I didn't start with my waters opening. So it started with contractions the night before and I labored all night, you know, kind of by myself. Um, I didn't want, I remember not wanting to bother her. She had a couple people do. So I didn't. And then by the morning, I think I called the doula and she was like, I think you should probably let her know. So I did. And it's kind of a blur. You know how these things are. Um, it was intense. And I do remember thinking that, wow, if it's going to be this way for too much longer, I don't think I can do it. I was comparing it to my first birth. And of course, that's really hard <laughs> to have a birth that, you know, is um, Pitocin induced. It's strange, your next birth. You're kind of wondering, like, where you are in the process. Um, so I wasn't really clear on that. And, and I called her to come over in the afternoon. I remember her coming over to our apartment and sitting with me and I was really having a hard time at that point. She did a great job of coaching me through some contractions. And then strangely, this is a a strange part of the story. She says to my husband, well, I'm going to leave now. I'm going to go to Indiana, which of course wasn't that far, uh, but across the state border. And I'm in labor land, and I just remember thinking, what on earth is she doing? Um, so in the end, it turns out that I guess she didn't really think I was as far in labor as I was. And, you know, maybe that's because she didn't know me that well or whatever. But she didn't go. She actually just kind of left the house and was, I guess, in the vicinity. I don't even know. And I started pushing. Now, this poor doula is there kind of by herself. And I do remember her face when I started pushing. Like, she was a little freaked out that nobody was there but her. So, you know, I'm not really paying attention. But, of course, the midwife does wind up there. It all works out. Um, I hadn't 
of course, had a water birth before, but that was the plan. So I remember my husband madly filling up the pool and I'm pushing and I kind of jump in and it's hotter than hell. It's like, (laughs) it's like ridiculously hot. I mean, he was just flustered. This is all happening so fast. And so I remember him running across the street to buy ice and throwing it in the pool. So this birth was kind of funny. It was sort of dramatic in a, in a silly kind of way. Um, it definitely wasn't like all relaxed and candles and music. It was a little frantic. Um, but you know, I think that was partly just where we were. This was sort of a late choice. We were comfortable with it, but we weren't sort of settled into like how this would look or how it would go. And in the end, of course, it was, it was a really nice birth. He was born in the pool and his name actually is Egan, which means fiery. So it was just kind of this serendipitous thing where he was born into really hot water and, um, you know, he kind of came into the world with like a bolt of, (laughs) of heat and light and, um, yeah, it was, it was a life changing experience. You know, obviously that was the beginning, mm-hmm. uh, another beginning of, of the rest of the journey so far. And is that indicative of his personality now? Is he quite fiery <laughs> and ready to go? <laughs> yeah. You know, it really was him as a baby. I feel like he's definitely, you know, matured. He's 12 now. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, his name was no accident. It kind of just, you know, how those things are. Um, yeah, it all kind of came together and and like I said was a little bit more dramatic than the rest of my births have been or or maybe it just felt that way. It was all just so new and fast. Uh, but it was thrilling and amazing and to be able to get into the bath, the herb bath with him a half an hour after he was born and I mean it was all just sort of unbelievably magical compared you know, to how routine my first birth was. So uh, I was on a high for, you know, a long, long time after that. Beautiful. Walk us through your next pregnancy and your sort of journey into where you are now because from this is it. This is where indie birth come about and (laughs) you as a midwife – and an activist. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll try and pick out the highlights. I feel like it might get a little tedious with all these birth stories. But, um, so after Egan's birth, I started an apprenticeship when he was only four months old. And, and that was again, pretty big thing. And that's not something I would encourage everybody to do, but it was just right for me. I just, I met another midwife who knew my midwife and she asked me if I wanted an apprenticeship. And now of course I realize how lucky that was. So I really just got started right away. Um, by the time I had my third baby, I had been apprenticing. So for like two years and it was great. Um, I worked with the same midwife for several years and, I saw a lot of beautiful births. Um, I was really excited, of course, to be pregnant again and to know more. Um, And so she was another water birth. I think she was on her due date. And it was a really enjoyable labor, actually. Uh, So my first two labors, I didn't really make it super obvious, but those babies were posterior uh, for all of my labor, really. I don't know. They must just have turned at the end. So I was pretty obsessed with that, my third pregnancy, especially as a student. You know, what can I do to not have that happen again? And what does normal labor feel like? And um, seeing women, of course, all these women have babies and 
and it looked sort of easier than it had felt for me. So my third labor was magical in that regard. I didn't have a posterior baby and it was the first time I felt labor in probably where most people feel it, like in the front of their bodies, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know? Um, So I really... I remember smiling through her labor and it was hard, but it wasn't unbearable. Like I felt, you know, that parts of my first two were so, um, it wasn't terribly long, but maybe not that much shorter than the others. It just was more comfortable. And so, you know, she was born into the pool. It was pretty uneventful. Um, something that came up for that birth though, that has influenced me. And this is more of a technical thing, I guess, is that I remember the pool being really bloody. In fact, I even have pictures and I remember the two midwives that I was apprenticing with were there, of course, and they were kind of giving each other the look, you know, so is she okay? Is she bleeding too much? And as a student, I knew enough to know what they were thinking, but I was fine. I was absolutely fine. So, um, that's just, you know, something that's come up a lot for me as I teach about hemorrhage and, um, I've written a couple blog posts about it. Um, and, and uh, as I go on to tell the other stories, like it's just really influenced me how I, how I think about third stage or delivery of the placenta, um, how we approach blood loss, you know, is fear appropriate. So I didn't know then that that was one of those really important seeds, but it actually was. So So just just briefly, what's, what's your link there? Well, first of all, I think the definition of a hemorrhage is sort of up for grabs. So, you know, I saw the looks they were giving each other and maybe by clinical amount, you know, cc's or cups or whatever, it may have been considered a hemorrhage, but I was absolutely stable. I was absolutely fine. So right away, you know, that's taught me so much that we need to look at the women. Like, sure, there are other circumstances and there are other factors, but some women will lose more blood than others and they'll be absolutely fine. So, um, you know, having experienced that, that was pretty, pretty amazing. It's not just a measurement, it's a condition. And I wasn't hemorrhaging. I was fine. (laughs) Um, the other thing, you know, that's come up for me, especially in my last couple of births, um, and something that I love to teach to other women is that we can take control of the birth of the placenta you know, and for a lot of my births, I didn't even that birth, the third birth, um, the fourth birth I did, but the third, the second birth, the third birth, I just kind of had the baby. And then I don't really remember too much except the midwife maybe being like, Oh, I'm just going to help you with the placenta or whatever it was. Um, but I love to take responsibility for that part. Now I think of course the baby's the best part, but after that, I actually love birthing my own placenta. I love feeling that I love being in charge of that. And ever since I've kind of changed my view on my responsibility on the last like three or four births, I haven't bled at all, like at all. And the placenta is usually released in a matter of um, minutes after birth. So it was almost like I just wasn't paying attention. And as a midwife, I see that a lot too. I'm not that people are hemorrhaging. I actually don't see a lot of hemorrhages, but I see women just sort of not being present for that part. And I think it does matter. And I think bleeding can just be one thing that we see that seems out of proportion to what the woman is feeling. Good point. I think we need to honor the placenta a bit more too. Give it a lot of respect for for what it is. There's a lot of fear around it. And, and I saw that in my apprenticeship. And in fact, I went on to do another apprenticeship and, and that was a common thread. I, 
I don't know why, maybe, I mean, certainly all midwives aren't like that, but um, that can be a common thread is there's sort of this element of fear around it. And once the baby's out, you can feel everybody kind of tighten up in the room and they're all watching the clock. And um, so anyway, I guess getting to experience that firsthand, I hope has allowed me to relax a little bit more uh, when I'm at other people's births, you know, um, yeah. because sure, like crazy things do happen, but most normal, healthy women, if they're present in their bodies, you know, that's, that's a good way to assess what's going on rather than freaking out about whatever, what you think something weighs or measures. Now, just briefly too, I'd like to hear about how you do apprenticeships in your state. Doing an apprenticeship, does that get you registration as a midwife or do you need to still attend uh, like a university or college as such? Right. Well, the way it works in the U.S. is that each state has its own laws around midwifery or not. So some states like Arizona, um, the requirement, the legal requirement is to have a state license. And so later in the story, when I ended up doing an apprenticeship here, then that was the goal to obtain a license. But the story I just told uh, when I was still in Illinois and kind of in the Midwest there in the U.S., there is no licensing available at all. So all of the midwives I worked with were essentially unlicensed midwives or traditional midwives. And I was apprenticing for experience, um, not to get a number, you know, not to write anything down on a paper, just purely because if I had stayed living there, that's the route I would have gone. Mm. So hopefully that makes sense. Yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So number four. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh. And your journey? (laughs) (laughs) I know. I feel like I'm squishing them, but I'll get to the point. Um, Well, it's cool, actually. I've never told them all at once. And it's it's actually cool to see how the themes are reflected in the births. And especially where you're at too. Like now, I suppose, if you told them at a different point in your life, it's just interesting to see where you're at now and how you reflect upon that. Yeah, no, that is so true. I mean, like I said, even with the first birth, you know, um, as you get distance from a story, right, it definitely changes perspective too and how much emotion you have. Um, So that's true about this fourth story. So the theme I can very clearly see here is that uh, we moved after the third baby was born. Um, The midwife I worked with actually uh, got in some legal trouble because it wasn't legal for her to practice there. So again, it was just something that midwives do, but she got caught and it ended up being a really important part of my life for obvious reasons. It was very traumatic to see her in distress, um, to know that her house was searched and her kids were there. There were some very disturbing elements of of what's very common here in the U S which is uh, midwife persecution. So little did I know I'd experienced that myself later in life. Um, but it ended my apprenticeship sadly because she ended up moving out of the country. Mm-hmm. So we moved after the third baby. And I always say how ironic it is that we moved to Arizona so that I could obtain a license. Um, her, the midwife I had been with her story was upsetting to say the least to me. And I think as a younger midwife and, and, you know, many of them right now, that's one of the major fears of becoming a midwife 
uh, of entering midwifery at all in many places in the world is that they will get in trouble. They will be persecuted. And so I thought I could find safety here in a state where I would be legal. I would be permitted. I would be allowed. And of course, you can hear later how how that came back to bite me. But anyway, um, that I'll, was the I'll link to the um, podcast. <laughs> I think it's called The Midwife Myth. Is that the one? Yeah, yeah. yeah that's one of the most popular yeah. ones. I'll put a link to that podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a lot of politics involved. Mm-hmm. Um, so we left the Midwest and we came to Arizona so that I could obtain a license. And so I had to start a new apprenticeship. And of course, you know, skill wise, I had learned a lot. I was able at this point to take my own clients and the midwife I worked with, even though we were new to each other, she did respect that. But on paper, I had to start my apprenticeship over because none of the numbers I had gathered meant anything at all to anybody official. So, um, I am grateful to this midwife for helping me the way she did. She gave me lots of responsibility, but she was very different. And, you know, I really mean this without judgment. Um, she was more of a medically minded midwife and it wasn't something I really labeled at the time. In fact, I was very excited to learn more skills. Um, I had never done a vaginal exam on anybody. There were things that I did really want to learn and do, and she gave me the opportunity to do them. And we had lots of births in the couple of years that I worked with her. So I got licensed, um, you know, here and right after I got licensed, um, I birthed my fourth baby. So his birth story is sort of interesting because I think it reflects this medically mindedness that I had learned that I had been introduced to. I knew my heart was always with traditional midwifery on uh, my first apprenticeship whether I was attracted to it or it was attracted to me, you know, I think it was both. My heart was and always will be with that kind of midwifery. Um, but as I was working with this more medically minded midwife, I had to find my place. And that's, I think, something that every midwife has to do or really every person has to do. Like, who am I? Um, you know, you can work with people, but who are you? What do you represent? What can you offer the world? So my fourth birth was strange. Um, my, my pregnancy was strange. I, I can't explain it other than that. It was just different. And for the first time I passed my due date, he was due at Christmas, actually on Christmas. And I had a couple of contractions, but nothing. It wasn't until New Year's Eve, or it was like December 31st, that I went into labor. And he was born at nine o'clock in the morning on New Year's Day. And the midwife did arrive, the one I had apprenticed with. Um, I didn't really want her there. And that was a very hard thing for me. My heart really wanted to be alone, but she thought birth was dangerous. And she told me many times that that was stupid and that why would I want to be alone? And right before I had birthed myself, I think two weeks before I had attended a birth with her, that was um, sort of scary. And that's not something I would recommend people doing before they have a baby, but that was my life. So I kind of had these these things going on where I wasn't quite settled in my birth choice. Um, I was increasingly knowledgeable and confident, but yet I had put myself in a situation where I wasn't comfortable. 
And I was essentially inviting someone into my birth that, although I loved on some level, didn't really have the exact same philosophy about birth with. So lo and behold, um, my baby was born at nine o'clock in the morning and he came out not breathing at all. Like he was essentially just not even alive for a couple of minutes. And I remember just like being in the moment and kind of looking at him and being like, okay, is this really happening? Um, but I was the mom, you know, she was there. I wasn't the midwife and I just kind of let her take over just cut his cord and did all kinds of stuff that I probably wouldn't have given approval of. Um, but here's my baby laying there white and floppy and not breathing at all. So, um, sort of side story, we called 911. They arrived. I delivered my own placenta in that like minute. I was just very determined that I was going to, you know, I was going to have to be fine. He was going to have to go somewhere. And by the time the EMS arrived, he was responding. He was. Um, We lived in a really rural place, however, and fear was all I could feel in the room. And the midwife herself stood in the corner and she said to me something like, she wanted nothing to do with us. I know that sounds really harsh. She may have said it nicer than that, but there was this feeling of she was not supportive. Um, she really didn't want to be responsible in any way. She was sort of angry that I hadn't had oxygen out or whatever the heck she had thought she needed. It was this very strange personal dynamic, uh, but again, not really surprising in the end. So we decided to airlift the baby to the nearest hospital, which was really our only option in this rural place. And when we got up on the helicopter, he squeezed my finger and I knew he was fine. Um, I know it's so like he's seven now and he's an absolutely strange, amazing child, but his birth story is really fitting. Um, so he gets into the ER at the hospital. They put him on the table. He's screaming. He's pink. And they just are looking at me. They say, what are you here for? Oh, and I, you know, it's just like this great. I mean, it was great in the end. I'm yeah. like, well, um, he's breathing now. So I kind of scooped him up and my husband had driven up and we got in the car and that was his story. Um, and you know, now seven years later, I certainly find humor in it. I can see it more clearly. I can see my own responsibility. I don't blame anybody. That's just his story. Uh, but it was very traumatic. It was very traumatic as a student, um, in a small community, you know, I felt like there was gossip about it. And did you hear about this baby that, you know, people have all kinds of stories they tell, right, in those scenarios. Um, and most of all, it destroyed the relationship I had with this midwife. And and that's something to this day I'm not quite sure she's aware of because we don't speak anymore. But that was something for me that was that was the end. Um, that was absolutely the end. I just keep going back to that feeling where you felt strange. Yeah. So you obviously knew something was going to happen there and a big shift or um, yeah, yeah, it obviously needed to happen. Yeah, it it did need to happen, and like I said, I have no regrets about any of the stories. And yeah. um, you know, I think each one does prepare you in ways you don't even imagine for what's next. And you know, certainly even like the death element was something. You know, I think as newer students or doulas or just you know sort of younger people in life, we don't we don't necessarily think affects us, but um, 
you know, it was, it was something that really hit home. Of course he was fine, but you know, you, you don't really walk away unchanged from a situation yeah. like that. Yeah. So then we, what are we up to? Number five next. <laughs> oh, I'm well, enjoying no. this. <laughs> <laughs> Number five, not to shortchange yeah. my daughter, Belgium. She's yeah. the sweetest little girl in the world, but her birth and her pregnancy were a rebound in the best sort of sense that is possible. Um, so Rune, who's my fourth baby, he, again, I, I mentioned he's a very different child, very, um, he's just a different child. He was a very different baby than I had ever had. He was extremely quiet and slept a lot and sucked his thumb and didn't seem to want a whole lot from me. So I was pregnant again by the time he was seven months old. And I knew that this would happen. Um, I had had dreams and, and just sort of that sense that there was this girl that essentially was his twin, um, but that they weren't obviously, you know, actual twins, but that in spirit they were twins and that she would come very close. And she actually asked permission of me um, at one point and I gave it to her and I was pregnant like literally the next day. Wow. I love those stories. <laughs> so <laughs> awesome. Oh my gosh. So it was an absolutely blissful pregnancy. Um, I was on my own at that point practicing as a midwife and I was just busy. I was busy with other people and other people's births. And she is the sweetest of children. And that's how her pregnancy was. It was just easy and blissful and there was nothing to worry about. And it was almost like, I say rebound because um, after Rune's birth, I just was fearless in this different way. I just felt like I'm not in charge of this anyway, so I might as well just enjoy it. Mm. So it's, and yeah, yeah, so, which I I think is really true. Yeah, it's sort of like a surrendering process that happened with that one, and yeah, a lot of let let go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I really did. Like, you know, even with Rune, all four of the for you know the first four, I had done a more formal prenatal care, even with a midwife. And then with the fifth, again, it was it was just surrender. I saw. I thought. I know how to do this. My body knows how to do this. I'm just not going to worry about anything. And so I didn't. I don't think I did one prenatal skill of any kind, you know, other than just for fun, maybe listening to her. And so her birth, she was born about a week early, which was unexpected. I had been out the day before on my prenatal day, very, very busy. And I stopped at the store and I thought to buy some blue pads. Um, I don't know what you guys call them there. You know what I mean? Like the absorbent. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 So that was strange because I still wasn't due for another week, but I brought them home. And then the next morning, trying to think, I think it just started with contractions. Um, And I just labored all day very easily. I remember going out to lunch with the other kids and my husband and it was just, it was just nice. Um, by about seven o'clock in the evening, my husband was putting the younger ones to bed and the labor really kicked in. I called one of my midwife friends that was coming and she made it by 15 minutes. And that was just pretty easy and fast. Um, wow. yeah, 
just to interject here before we get to the next three stories, <laughs> how how were you as uh, a mum and, you know, being a midwife and doing what you're doing, how how – how how did how's the dynamics of that? How did that go? Was it a full house and lots going on all the time? Um, how, <laughs> how do you do it? <laughs> well, it's more that way now because the kids are older. Yeah, you know, there's more of them, and we live more, um, you know, in a central location now. But then we were still kind of rural. The kids were younger, so it really wasn't crazy. Um, a memory I have of that birth though, that I think is really cute is my son, Egan, who was the first home birth. He was very composed, uh, more of a midwife than really anybody else. And he kind of got the birth pool ready. He was laying out the blue pads. He was very calm. And that was just a cute memory because he was probably about five or so. That's awesome. Has he witnessed all the births? Yeah, he probably has. Yeah, wow. And actually, for for this birth, the fifth birth, um, he did take a really cute video, but he forgot to uncover the lens cap. Oh, no. <laughs> so it's this really cute audio of her being born. You can hear the waters opening. Um, anyway, he's gone on to, like, video is one of his things. He makes videos all the time now. So that was one of the first videos that he shot. Mm. I'm sure he will have such a beautiful perception of a woman and what a woman is when he grows up. What a what a lovely thing to be a part of in a family. Yeah, I think so. I think it's amazing that all of them have seen each other be born and you know, definitely creates a bond that I don't think you find everywhere mm. between them. Um, so yeah. you, so your next journeys and just sort of interject when indie birth came about during that or is that after yeah indie birth had come about already when I was still a student and it started as a print magazine so you know at this point 10 years ago um, so I was a student I was looking for ways to connect the community I was a birth nerd I wanted to talk about birth all the time so this was the project I had created so I was writing articles I was getting other submissions from local practitioners and again creating this actual magazine that people could hold so that's how any birth started um, it went online probably around this time of my fourth or fifth birth but it wasn't very well known. Um, we weren't very focused. So I think a natural birth was the generality of it all, which just isn't, in my opinion, very interesting. I mean, there's lots of sites that do that and, mm. you know, there's just sort of like too much information. So we just weren't focused. We didn't really have an audience. We didn't really have a message. We just kind of had a site with birth stories. That was sort of the extent of it. Um, so leading up to the sixth birth, uh, it was really after that, that I probably changed the most and any birth definitely changed the most. And so 
in between my fifth and sixth birth, again, I had been practicing independently as a licensed midwife here in Arizona, which meant that I didn't have anybody to answer to. I didn't have a doctor to answer to, but what I did have to answer to was the state and the rules and regulations around birth in lots of states here, uh, particularly Arizona are really strict. So the midwives, and I was one, could only attend certain kinds of births, all kinds of limitations around the type of woman, how many babies she had, how long her labor would be. Um, So it was a very, very restrictive way of practicing. But I thought that I could still do okay, meaning I thought I would still be able to practice the way I wanted to, which I think is a common thing that especially younger midwives think. Uh, They think they'll just kind of proceed and that it won't really matter to them. But sometimes it catches up because it's a pretty um, strict system that that controls everybody. (laughs) And I didn't realize that until it happened to me. So the short story, there's lots to read, I'm sure, online, and you mentioned the podcast. But the short story is I started caring for a woman here that had had a cesarean and that wanted a home birth. And that was 100% against what I was allowed to do as a licensed midwife. Um, You know, for what it's worth, the midwives still to this day, many of them do operate outside of the rules and regulations and they're sort of ignored or maybe they're slapped on the hand. It's not always the most serious thing in the world. But in my case, um, when a doctor here locally reported me to the licensing board, just because this woman had attempted a home birth, uh, she did choose to go to the hospital, but all was well. And, you know, to this day, she's a very nice support. Um, but the local doctor was basically just angry that anybody would attempt a home birth or want a home birth. It's not a very home birth friendly area. So when he complained to the licensing board, I was completely on the defensive. Uh, there's no licensing board of people to review your case or to get both sides. You are guilty. Whatever the doctor says you did, you need to fix. Uh, or lie about. And so that's the situation I found myself in as a very new midwife was being basically attacked by my own licensing, you know, agency. Um, and I wouldn't lie. I wouldn't say that I hadn't known she had a cesarean. I wouldn't say I wasn't paid for my services by her. And so I quickly found myself in this legal battle with them because I wouldn't give them what they wanted. And what they ended up wanting right away even were the charts for every woman I had ever cared for, which was completely irrelevant to what was going on. But they were just wielding their power. Um, And that's the patriarchal system, you know, that we subscribe to when we choose licensing um, as midwives. So I learned this all pretty fast, but I didn't ever give them what they wanted. Um, I'm not a very submissive person. And at some points during the journey, I thought maybe I should be, I should just give in and shut up and do what they wanted, but I couldn't bring myself to. Uh, And a lot of that reason is because they wanted personal information from these women that had trusted me. And I didn't feel that that was any of their business. So this went on for two years and it was the hardest, one of the hardest times in my life. I didn't know what would happen next. I didn't know if I was 
allowed to practice from day to day. I didn't know if someone would show up at my door and search my house. I had no idea. Uh, At the same time, I was pregnant with my sixth baby, and that was a very hard pregnancy just because of this. It was not a hard pregnancy physically, but emotionally, it was a huge challenge. Um, I was kind of a mess, and I just had to keep telling my baby, you know, this isn't about you. I know your birth is going to be life-changing. I just knew it. Um, I knew that something big was going to happen, and I knew that it involved this birth. So leading up to his birth, again, I was dealing with court this and subpoena that, and it was, um, something that I started to realize I had control over in the sense of just spiritual beliefs. Even, um, I kept telling myself that I would not, you know, (laughs) I was not going to sit in front of a judge eight months pregnant. Like I was not going to do that. And, and so I kept focusing on the positive, you know, that I'm not going to be a victim to this. Something great is going to come out of this. And sure enough, the court date never happened. Um, They ended up wanting to settle with me. And it wasn't until after his birth that I gave them my final answer, um, which was I had no intention of settling with them ever. I didn't want anything to do with them after my birth. And so on to the birth story, at least briefly. Um, uh, his name is True. And True's birth was really the story of indie birth becoming what I think it represents today, um, which is someone who is looking inside of themselves for what they need, even when it's hard, uh, even when everybody else thinks they know better. So I purposely planned a free birth or an unassisted birth with true. Um, it's not something I think a lot of midwives do, but I knew I had to, um, you know, plain and simple. I wasn't going to hire anyone licensed to be with me after I knew what I knew, which is I was a property of the state if I were their client. And I didn't actually want to do that to a midwife anyway. I wanted to be free to do whatever this birth required and not have anybody feel liable. So there was that. And then there was also this element that I had been building up to an unassisted birth for years. Like I said, with my fourth baby, it was very much in my heart to not have somebody there telling me what to do. Um, So by the time I got to the sixth baby, it was time. And it wasn't easy. It was something I struggled with. I did have lots of fears. I had specific fears about things I had seen or learned about. Um, I had general fears. But this baby kept going with me. Um, he was very strong and, and I knew that he knew already how this would change us. So his birth wasn't more of a story really, um, physically than any of the rest of them. I tend to have the same sort of pattern, which is I labor all day and it's really manageable. And then the last couple hours, of course, uh, are hard. And then the baby's born. And that was his story But it felt different um, not having anybody but a friend and my husband there. Um, It was really raw. It was was really a chance for me to be with myself and to acknowledge my fears about everything I had been through, even birth. And I knew that I was the only one responsible. I, I wasn't looking for anyone to save me. And that completely changed my role as a midwife, you know 
going forward, um, that I could never be that for a woman again. I couldn't be above her. I couldn't be playing God. I could only be whatever she needed, which is a support. Um, so his birth was amazing. And I'm lucky to have captured such amazing photos from a professional photographer that was a good friend at the time. So I have this amazing documentation of this transformation. Um, and like I said, when I came out the other side, I refused to settle with the state. I gave back my license, which was something I don't think that anyone's ever done, at least here in Arizona. I wrote them a letter that very kindly and sincerely, I thought, said, you know, you don't know what birth is. Like, women own birth. You don't. And please stop trying to control us. But in the meantime, I will continue to help women the way that I want to and the way they want me to. And I want nothing to do with you. And so here's your license, take it back. And that was sort of the, the shining moment of that story. Wow. What that just shows so much strength and transformation again for you just to, to hear that and to, to come out of that experience with all that confidence. Um, yeah. Amazing. <laughs> Oh, well, you know, again, I couldn't, it wasn't something I, I planned. It was just mm. the story, you know, the birth revealed to me what was true about birth. Uh, and that's why his name is true. Everything I knew was true. I had to live like I had to believe it. I had to see it. And and, and again, that's the story of any birth now is like, what is this new paradigm that we want to create? Because I think that's a really different way to go than, um, you know, having medical birth be the standard for women, even at home, which is what's happening here. Even home births are so medically managed that we've lost that um, sense of, you know, women really knowing what they need. Mm -hmm. So I am grateful to my son and to all of those experiences. I, I don't regret it at all. Um, I don't regret not having a license. I don't regret not serving them. It was it was absolutely the most perfect story to come together. Yeah, amazing. Coming on to your next birth, <laughs> um, that would have just been a breeze, I suppose. <laughs> no, let me tell you, seventh babies don't just fall out. Um, that's what I, you know, that's what I had hoped or thought. And yeah, her birth was full of lessons too. Um, her birth was sort of reminiscent of my first. So if you remember, kind of come full circle and my waters had opened, but I wasn't in labor. That was my story the first time. And of course I was induced and blah, blah, blah. So here we are the seventh time, never expecting that my waters would open. I was 41 weeks this time and it happened about 10 o'clock at night. And you know, I'm a midwife. I know that of course I know nothing, but, um, my, my waters open and it wasn't just a leak. It was a ginormous amount of fluid, and so I got really excited, and I thought, oh, good, this baby's going to probably come tonight. So I got all my stuff out, and I called my friend, and then I waited, and my husband went to bed, and I waited, and I had contractions for the next 24 hours that were very intense and fairly close together, and didn't produce a baby until, you know, after the 24 hour mark. So it was really hard. Um, I spent the next 24 hours just home. Of course, again, I was in labor, but 
my body wasn't ready to birth this baby yet. And, and I was pretty whiny. I was pretty upset about it. I, I just cried a lot in my room and, and called all the midwife friends I had and cried to them. Um, and everybody said the same thing, which is what I've, what I would have said to anybody too, which is just relax. It'll happen, you know, eat, drink, just chill out. There's nothing you can do to make it go faster. But it is different when you're in that scenario yourself. Mm. So 24 hours passed, which I never thought would happen with a seventh baby. And I just tried to go about my day, even though I was miserable. Um, I went downstairs into our home. I was going to take a bath. And I thought to myself, and this is really a ridiculous thought, which shows that I was somewhere in the labor process. I thought to myself, I'll take a bath. And if this baby is not getting ready to come, maybe I should go to the hospital, just completely irrational. But that's what I was thinking. So I went downstairs, I took the bath. And as I was kind of getting out, I felt a little pressure. And I was renewed with faith. And I said out loud to my baby, Oh, my gosh, we can do this. You're going to come out. This is going to be fine. And so I went into the bedroom next to the bathroom. And this probably all happened in a matter of 20 minutes. Um, I was kind of up and down off the bed. I was having contractions. But again, I wasn't, it was one of my first, it was probably the first birth um, as a midwife that I wasn't in my midwife brain, which was a really big switch for me. So I wasn't analyzing it. I was so sick of analyzing myself that I just was in it. And I was getting up, I guess, every couple minutes for contractions. Um, And I remember texting Margot, who's my best friend and indie birth partner, um, at about 9 PM. And I said to her, can you just come over and sit with me? I'm so miserable. And by the time she got there, the baby was coming out. (laughs) So I don't really know what happened. Um, other than, you know, anybody into astrology might find it fun that my daughter was born at whatever time, um, I forget 930, or something. And she's zero degrees Aquarius. So I was pretty sure she would be a Capricorn, but she really held on till the first moment she could not be that uh, for whatever reason. And yeah, it was um, sort of like strange and cool and frustrating and lots of things I had and hadn't experienced before. Wow. It's just really interesting too. I was going to ask during that point whether you had your midwife hat on um, but it seems you took it off, which which is interesting. Yeah, I was pretty, I was pretty pleased with myself in a way, but it wasn't intentional. It was just I was so done. Yeah. <laughs> I was so done thinking about it. I was so done talking about it. And yeah, I mean that's how women in labor get. Like they just, they're just gonna lay down until the baby decides to come out. Mm. Um, so it was, it was really a great birth in hindsight. It was, it was difficult, but it was, it was fun. And, and with all seven, did you have any tearing issues or any breastfeeding issues um, postpartum or did everything, was everything quite similar in that respect? Um, you know, my first birth, I really don't know tearing my, my first home birth, I do remember she sutured me with super glue. <laughs> it was horrible. Um, my third birth, of course, I was with my preceptor person, and she did give me a couple sutures. Um, I don't know that they were needed. I think 
She just wanted to probably practice. That's what I saw a lot of. And in my subsequent births, um, I've probably had what I would guess is the same minor tear that just opens up every time and heals every time. And I've not done anything major about it since. Um, you know, I think being in intuitive positions, of course, no one's ever telling me and catching my own babies, you know, I think you have the best shot at least, you know, not that weird things can't happen, but the best shot of not doing any major damage. And one thing I wanted to add to that I just thought of, um, with the seventh baby was my daughter who was the first birth. Um, I, you know, I was really miserable all day. I was upset and I had doubts and she came into my room and she wrote on my wall in some kind of marker, you can do it, mom. (laughs) And it was so cute. Well, because that was her story in a way, like no one was patient enough to wait for her to come out. So it was this really healing experience where, you know, I kind of got to relive that and do it a different way. And that was, that felt really powerful to kind of rewrite that story a little bit. Not that I wanted to rewrite hers, but you know what I mean. Yes, certainly. Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much. Do you have any final words of wisdom that you can share with people? (laughs) (laughs) Take us out with a big (laughs) one-liner. Well, birth and life are journeys. They do teach us what we need. And so I think just, you know, extracting your own wisdom from your own stories. And, um, you know, I think a common thing in in the mainstream world, especially with women is to like beat themselves up about this birth or that birth. And it could have been this way and it could have been perfect and it wasn't. And, and really they are all perfect. You know, we can grow and learn as, as people and, you know, do the best we can with that. But I do believe these babies come with their lessons and, and we're all here to learn, you know, if we weren't, we would be someplace else. Yeah, exactly. And I do love the work of Indie Birth and I'm, uh, since I stumbled across, I don't even know how, but I've just really resonated with a lot of, um, things and especially us taking responsibility. Um, I think that's the biggest thing that comes out of it for me is being responsible for our bodies and our health and our births. Yes, I agree. And um, yes, thank you. (laughs) Yeah, thank you so much. It was a pleasure to have you on the show and I I know we've gone like well over an hour, so... (laughs) But that's I know. Fine. I think I should to everybody for having eight birth stories to tell. Yeah. But hey, you can always stop and listen later, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Aaron. Much appreciated. Ah, thank you so much. Did you connect with this episode? Then head over to our website, circleofbirth.com. There you'll find show notes, pictures, resources, and potentially connect with today's storyteller. Don't forget to sign up to be updated with new empowering episodes and content. Help the show grow by contributing a tip in the jar to make sure we can continue to better the podcast and connect more and more to the wisdom and birth and each other. Hey, and don't forget the iTunes rating. This has been another episode of the Birth Share Project. We breathe, we birth, we empower. Mm-hmm.